0: So we've had uh, what two conversations now, and we are thinking about um, what it means to be connected to Jesus. And the first night, uh, what I was trying to convince us from uh, of was that to be connected to Jesus is to be represented by Him. And when you're represented by by someone, what they do on your behalf affects you. And so we we talked about what Jesus has done and what it means to be connected to Him as our new representative. This morning, I wanted to think about some of the things that he earned for us, some of the benefits of being represented by him. And we talked about uh, belonging to Jesus. We talked about being uh, justified or accepted by Christ. And we talked about because of these two things, we can actually begin to change. So he was our representative who's earned some things that we've talked about this morning. And I'm hopeful that tonight, by the time we've worked our way through these two things, that we are wanting to know Okay, how do I get them? Like, how, how does this uh, gigantic, wonderful um, thought and uh, theology about Jesus, how does it affect me? How does it get here? And so that's what we're going to talk about for a few minutes tonight. I'm going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. or no, I'm not. Psych. That was earlier. Um, 1 John, excuse me, very different. <laughs> 1 John chapter 4. See, that was my first um, gaffe. All right, we're going to be first John chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 12 uh, to 16. All right, so we were listening to Paul for the first two talks, and now we're going to listen to John, who's also an apostle of Jesus. And this is what uh, John writes. He says, no one has ever seen God. Facts. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us God abides in him. Let me offer a brief prayer and we'll get going. Father, uh, we we celebrate you and the fact that uh, you are watching us and enjoying us and delighting in the ways in which we are enjoying you. Would you now very patiently and clearly help us to see what it means to believe in you? Do that, we pray, through your Holy Spirit. And in the name of Jesus, amen. All right, I'm going to spit my gum out on the podium. So don't let me forget it. All right. I don't know where to put it. Sorry, sorry, sorry. All right. I was feeling it in the bottom of my mouth, and I was like, this isn't going to work <laughs> for the whole time. No, you can't swallow it. How many pieces have you swallowed in your life? Oh, 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 oh. So. Oh, that, that makes me sad. Man, oh, okay. That would make me gag. Um, all right, so, so what Paul or, what John is saying is that for now, meaning we can't see God. So for now, one day we will see God. One day we will. But for now, we have to see with our hearts. And the way that we see with our hearts is faith. So for now, God dwells or makes his home with us through faith. God dwells or makes his home with us through faith. Where am I getting this? So if you read, if you were listening to this text, I hope you heard a word called abide. We don't really use this word a whole lot. We don't talk about an abode uh, that we live in, but, but it means to make like a home. And, and God, it, he wants to make his home with us, right? We talked about this on the first night. So, so what John is saying that for now, God dwells and makes his home with his people through faith. All right we're going to think about faith. We're going to talk about the nature of our faith, the posture of our faith. And then we're going to end with the assurance of our faith. So we just need to think about this. Like in Christ, God forever dwells with his people. This reality, friends, does not depend on our faith. Let me say that again. The reality that God dwells with his people doesn't depend on faith. Rather, faith is the means through which we understand this reality. Right? This is um, our faith is the way that we connect the vision of our hearts to the reality that God is going to dwell and is dwelling now with his people. So the absence or presence of your faith does not make this true or false. It is true. Faith is the means for now through which we experience it. Okay. so do you see where we're trying to take this? We've been talking about a number of things. Um, to be united to Jesus, and this faith is how we begin to apprehend it, to possess it. So let's think about the nature of our faith, the nature of it, like the essence of it, like what is faith? Well, verse 15 says that that if we confess Jesus as Lord, if if we make a confession of faith, as it were, what's really fun here is is the word that, that John uses when he writes this letter is sort of like two words smashed together. And if you were to like take those two words apart, what he's actually saying is that to make a confession is to say the same word, to say the same word. You see, when you when you confess faith in Jesus, you are simply saying back to God what he said to you. You're saying my dwelling place is with man. And you are parroting that back. You are telling God that you agree with what he says. It's like that game that my life is full of with little kids where, hey, girls, buckle your seatbelts. Hey, girls, buckle your seatbelts. Hey, guys, stop copying me. Hey, guys, stop copying me. This is what confession of faith is. It is it is to say back with the same words what it is that God has said for himself. In other words, it's to agree with God. Our faith is to agree with him. It's to agree with the facts. It's to agree with what he says. I, I think about like, if, let's say your sister got in trouble and your mom uh, comes to you and says, hey, look, um, I heard this happen and this happened on this day with, with this person and that person. And you really don't want to be a snitch. But you know if you don't fess up, that it's going to be worse. You know that if you don't agree with what has presented to you That that it's going to be worse. This is what confession of faith is. And this is what we're agreeing to. We're agreeing to three things. I'll try to keep this very simple. So we're agreeing to the identity of Jesus. We're agreeing to the purpose of Jesus. And we're agreeing with the message of Jesus. All from this text, really quick. We're agreeing with the identity of Jesus. In verse 15, Jesus is presented not as a guru. He's presented not as an inspirational figure alone. He is presented as none other than the Son of God. Did you see that? Verse 15, Son of God. And when the Bible uses this word, Son of God, it means that He is God. So if you're going to agree with God about what He says about Himself, the first act of faith is to say, you are God. Second, you're going to agree with the purpose of God and Jesus. And in verse 14, we're told that He came to do what? To save, to rescue as we've reminded ourselves, we're so tempted to use Jesus for our own agendas. This is the way in which um, country music thinks about Jesus and Christianity. No offense, country music. I used to listen to a lot of it, but it's like God is at a distance and he's to help me make my life better. Jesus doesn't give us that option. He came to save us. He came to rescue us. He's not a salvation coach. He is the savior. In other words, to confess or to agree with the fact that Jesus came to save means you've got to agree to something about yourself, right? It's important to our confession of faith is an agreement that we need a Savior. You see, something that happens in our hearts as we begin to, to experience faith in Jesus, as we begin to think to ourselves, oh man, it's worse than I thought. Oh man, I, I didn't know I had that effect on people. Oh man, I, I I didn't realize like that intention and that motivation was was all that bad. Oh wow, it is. You see, when you begin to agree with God with the mission of God and Jesus that He came to save, you're saying that He came to save me. So to express faith is is for is for God to 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 reveal in your heart all I need you, I need you. You agree with His identity. You agree with the purpose that He. Uh, came through Jesus and you agree with the message we see in verse 16 to believe the love that God has for us the love that God has for us now I know love has been hijacked in all sorts of unhelpful ways I know that we that it gets presented to us and the music that we listen to and the things that we watch and the books that we read and, and, and it's not what John intends for us to understand about the God the God of the Bible it's not a simple and flimsy and, and shallow sort of acceptance love, you do you and I do me. No, the love of, the love of God in Christ is, is sacrificial, it's committed, it's forever. And I think that, that, that when we begin to actually let the Bible communicate what it means that God is love, when we let him speak for himself, I think one of the things that will begin to happen in our hearts as we agree with the message that God actually loves us, is we stop believing the lie that he couldn't. We stop throwing up our fists saying, God, I'm just not worthy of it. Ah, you know, I, you got to love me. That's who you are. No. You see, agreeing with the message of God is that, no, he, he enjoys me. You see, his love is that Jesus refuses to have heaven without you. C- can that be anything less than a heart beating for His people? This is what the nature of our faith includes. We are agreeing with the identity of Jesus, we are agreeing with the purpose of Jesus, and we're agreeing with the message of Jesus. So what does it look like? What's a sort of a, a picture of it? And I use this word posture, right? You, there's like postures, there's ways in which we like sort of move our bodies or, or whatever. What does it look like to have faith? Well, in verse 16, we're told that we have to come to know and to believe. Knowledge in the Bible certainly includes um, knowing uh, different information about God. It absolutely includes that. But it's so much more than, than getting ready for your math quiz on Wednesday. In fact, it is deeply more. If, if you've read any or been in, or someone has read to you some of the Old Testament, you'll, you'll, you'll know, yeah, I didn't mean to use that word twice, that when the, the biblical writers use the word know, they're actually communicating something quite vulnerable. One of the ways in which Hebrew writers would refer to sexual intimacy between a husband and wife is that they would know each other. He knew her. Do you see, to to know Jesus, the posture of your faith is the posture of vulnerability. It's the posture of open hands. It's the posture of, of, of giving yourself to him not resisting Him, not recoiling from His love. It is opening yourself up. You see, in in our hearts, we struggle with this. I, I don't even want to know me completely. You mean God knows me that well? And not only does He know me that well, to be sure, He's repulsed by some of the things I think about. To be sure, he is grossed out and allergic to some of the things that I do. Friends, the knowledge of God does one thing. The knowledge of God for you does one thing, and it brings him close. It brings him to you. It never pushes him away. The posture of your faith is to be vulnerable. Our confession of faith uh, the Westminster Confession says that justifying faith is resting in Jesus. What a picture. Resting in Jesus. So, so it's not only a vulnerable, sort of open-handed posture, but it's also a resting posture. It's, it's the posture that you're in right now, actually. This is faith. You're not thinking about the chair that's holding you up. Well, now you are. But when you weren't before. And this is what it means to trust Jesus. It, it, it's, it's, when, it's when God and his spirit actually lifts you from depending upon you and all of you and sits you on Jesus. He's like a great lazy boy. Well, I don't know. That'd be kind of squishy. Maybe like a rocking chair. That would make him like an oldie. I don't think that's it either. I don't know. I'm getting, see, this is one of those slap happy moments. I don't know. I'm, I'm, making, I'm making too much of this image. So let me end this point with this. If we were to have a couple of pictures of faith, here are, here are a couple of my attempts at it. Like, what does faith look like? I think faith looks like skydiving tethered to your instructor. Instructor. Skydiving tethered to your instructor. It's, it's open, it's vulnerable, and it's resting. I think faith looks like dancing and cutting a rug with a person who loves your soul. It's rhythmic, it's clunky. <laughs> Every now and then it's smooth, but it's connected. It's open, it's vulnerable, it's resting. I think, I think resting looks like some of you on the wall today, leaping for the next peg, fully secure, in the harness and the person at the bottom. You can jump with all you have, because you ain't going anywhere. I think faith is breathing underwater through scuba gear attached to your back. This is the posture of our faith. Finally, what is the assurance of our faith? Like, how can we be sure that if we have it, it's real? How can we be sure that if we have it, it won't escape us? And this is where I want to look at verse 13. By this we know. We know that same word again. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us. Why? Because He has given us His Spirit. We know, we have a deep, intimate sense that God dwells with us in Jesus. Why? Because our faith is a gift from the Spirit. In other words, it was God's idea that you trust Him at His Word. It was God's idea. There's such a an unfortunate misunderstanding of the role of faith in the life of the believer. It, it, it assumes that somehow the assurance of it depends upon the strength or even weakness of your faith. If I really believe, He really loves me. If I barely believe, well, hopefully. This is not, the, this is not what, what, what John is saying right here. If we begin to believe that, we're at risk of believing that somehow our faith improves or adds or or that somehow the work of Jesus is missing apart from our faith. And I'll just stand on the back of someone who's much stronger than me who says that our faith adds nothing to the righteousness of Jesus, which is received as a gift. Our faith does nothing to add to His work, right? It is simply the means through which God gives to us to apprehend, to see with our hearts that God is dwelling with his people. So if I can say this somewhat provocatively, our faith does not save. God saves us through our faith. See, it it is not the quality, but the object. You've probably heard this from your pastors. The ultimate strength of your faith is not your ability to conjure it the strength of your faith depends upon the person upon whom your faith rests jesus is your faith and if this faith has been given to us by god himself through his spirit praise god it it can't be squandered by us right you can believe with all your heart in the wrong things like nc state football go pirates Sorry, sorry. I had, I had to get in. I just had to say something. You still beat us this year, but whatever. You can believe with all your heart in the wrong thing. And that makes some crazy people. You see, it, it's not, it's not the, the, the measure that you have of faith, but the person upon whom it rests. And by the way, your ability to do that is a gift from God himself. We can believe in the wrong things. And since we didn't earn the faith that has been given to us, praise God, it cannot be lost by the absence of it, or when it's weak, when you're hurting, or when you've been tr- betrayed by a friend, or when, or when you feel neglected by a parent, or, or when, when life is not going well and you're not so sure that He's real, can I tell you that the faith that you've been given, friends, is a gift? May our trust in Jesus... See, to hear, to hear me say that the quality is not what saves is not me saying that your quality shouldn't improve like the the bible is clear that that as we walk with jesus as we're connected to this person our faith will actually grow but i'll warn you your faith will not grow in easy seasons your faith will grow in hard seasons and suffering and fear and anger and anxiety but it will I'll end with this simple illustration. My girls love to hold my hand. They love to hold my hand. Um, They like to do that thing, you know, like every kid does, uh, That that you sort of swing them a little bit. Until one day, my next door neighbor was a doctor and he saw me doing that and he was like, you know you're gonna dislocate your kid's shoulder. I'm like, come on, man, I'm just trying to have a moment. My kids love to be held by my hands. And they're convinced that they're holding my hands, right? But I'm holding theirs. I'm holding theirs. Friends, do not get a grip. Be held fast. May our faith increase. Amen. Father, would you tonight grip our hands convince us that you will not let us go, that we cannot outsquirm the grip of your love in our life because of Jesus. You've paid for it all, Christ. You have paid for it all, our doubts, our fears, everything. And now your, your, your eyes and your, and your whole body has been fixed upon your people, and you will connect them to yourself. And I pray that even tonight and this weekend, students would be reminded that they are Would you give us the vision of our hearts to to take hold of, to grab that you are with us? We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.